Hey everyone, Pizza Mind here. I got some great news. This podcast has grown by leaps and bounds, and we have a big announcement to tell you in reaction to that growth. Bryce, what's going on? Guys, we're leveling things up this year. Guys, starting the first week of January, okay? Starting the first week of January, we're changing the release schedule of the Crypto 101 podcast. So we're going to be releasing not one, but two episodes every single week in 2022. Okay, guys? So every Tuesday and every Thursday morning, you guys are going to be getting some brand new Crypto 101 content. And this begins Tuesday, January 4th. So mark your calendars uh, for after the new year, guys. And per usual, episodes are going to still remain available wherever you listen to podcasts along at crypto101podcast.com. And and that's it, guys. And the reason really, you know, why we're doing this, it's crazy. But we've just, like Pizza Mind said, we've seen such enormous growth. We're getting inquiries, you know, you know, literally like, you know, 50 to 100 every month for, for new guests to come on the show. Whereas back, you know, two, three years ago, we had to fight tooth and nail to get on top quality guests. And so it's just been a an awesome, awesome period. And we're excited to uh, dish up twice the amount of podcasts in the new year. And this is our way of saying thank you to you guys for voting us best podcast in 2018, 2019, and 2020, according to the Blockchain Influencer Award. So thank you so much. We feel the love. We're going to give it back to you in 2022. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for yet another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Paul, joined by my notorious companion and uh, good buddy, Pizza Mind. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, Bryce. How are you doing today, man? You know, things uh, things are good. And I know you're a little under the weather. Um, things are uh, over here in San Diego, gloomy. It's been like drizzly. Uh, the market, however, has been been kind of hot, uh, hot, hot, hot up October, up November. Um, I think we're going to probably have a pretty bright December as well. I'd have to agree. Uh, it's gloomy here in Texas, too, about 45 degrees outside. So <laughs> that's why I've got a little cold. It was about 85 two days ago. Really nice. But, Talk about um, volatility, man. I mean, I thought volatility the in the weather. Exactly, man. Um, but, you know, we're going to kind of shift gears today. Instead of talking about layer ones and cutting edge technology, we're going to have some fun. The fun side of crypto. We're going to learn about NFTs. We're going to learn about art, which is just as much of a revolution as crypto has been for finance. So I'm really, really excited to have with us Al Morris from Coin Network, the co-founder uh, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast, my friend. Hey, yeah, um, really, really exciting to be here. And I think this, uh, what you just mentioned about like crypto and this art movement that's happening alongside of it, I think this is actually like the next evolution of the crypto space, right? Because this is how we're going to get the mass audience to take this stuff and start using it. They, they need things that they can grab onto. Um, so as an example of that, in the last month, we've now had a million verified proofs of real traffic from actual wallets that are controlled by actual users on the coin network. Um, and so that's like actual human beings who are going and looking at other people's content and it's all happening on the blockchain in a decentralized way. 
Wow. And what are people, what are people doing on the, uh, the coin network, right? Those million users, they're trading, they're looking at other people's art. What is, what's going on? Well, so the purpose of Koi was to build a framework that you could use to deploy something like decentralized social media or, you know, a full spectrum decentralized app that has all the microservices and all the usability of a traditional web service app, like a Facebook or a Twitter or something like that, um, but in a completely decentralized way. And so the thing that we've started doing first with that is to basically make it really accessible for NFT users. Um, so by building on top of storage networks like Arweave, we've been able to unlock a certain amount of scale so we can mint these NFTs for like literally pennies or thousands of, uh, of a penny um, very, very inexpensively. And we can store all this content on chain. So we're basically helping people put all of this, these media assets on chain as NFTs. Um, and at this point, like people are turning their whole website into an NFT essentially, and then tracking the attention using the coin network. Um, and the way that you mine the coin token is by getting this attention on your decentralized assets. So we kind of, we provide the full spectrum building tools to get you out there so you can actually build one of these applications. And then once people start looking at it, then you start earning attention. Wow. And, and how long have you guys been building the Koi network and kind of what was the impetus for founding it? Uh, so this is something that I've actually been kind of focused on solving for about five years now. Um, I actually originally got into crypto because I was exploring this idea of DAOs as a way to create unbiased content on the internet. Because there's a lot of stuff... Uh, Kind of, I moved to the States in 2015. Sorry, what did you say? It kind of dropped, unbiased. Oh, sorry. Um, so reducing the amount of bias and misinformation online, I think, is probably one of the big challenges of our time. So if we, if we don't successfully find a way to have better information on the internet, our species will eventually go extinct because there's so many bad ideas out there that we're just consistently making bad decisions, right? Um, <laughs> hey, that, 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 that was why we got into this, really. Just kidding. Um, so I ended up a podcast host. We don't want to get rid of all the bad ideas. Sometimes yeah. they lead to good things. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think the, the thing, though, is like helping people find better information. It's really important. Um, and a lot of the systems out there like Facebook, Twitter, um, they're not putting a lot of effort in. In fact, they've kind of said that they don't want to be the, you know, the standard bearers of truth. Uh, so I think media has a big potential to uh, make a much more open and, and kind of transparent and fair Internet uh, for everybody around the world as well. Uh, Cause there's a lot of people in other countries that don't feel like they're very included in Western media. Yeah, we're really at this crossroads in society right now where you've got one herd of people going towards the truth. You've got another herd of people going towards the agenda and neither side wants anything to do with the other. So the mass media has got the agenda down pat, meaning the minority is now the truth seekers and those who actually value whatever the truth is, whether they like it or not, they still want to abide by it. And we need these platforms. We need these platforms to be immutable where they can't be deleted. So this is really great that these things are coming out. And uh, one of, I mean, there's many ways to deliver this truth. There's video content, there's articles, there's books. No one wants to read a 300 page book talking about why this, that, or the other thing is coming. But as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you can put a very captivating piece of art in front of people, that can be even more powerful and deliver exactly the message that they need to make important decisions and hopefully keep this species from going extinct. But hard to say we don't deserve it if that happens. Yeah, it's, I, I totally know what you mean there. Uh, if we walk ourselves into it, then it's kind of our fault, isn't it? Um, the other side of it, though, that's kind of like a little bit more fun and less, uh, 
doom and gloom is that, you know, there's this potential that we empower a lot of people. So you're already seeing this with NFTs. Um, there's a few of these stories going around about these guys in uh, like, you know, countries where, uh, you know, a hundred or thousand US dollars goes a really long way. Um, and they are selling their artwork uh, or they're playing like Axie Infinity and they're making enough money to pay all of their bills and support their families by using things on the internet for fun. Um, and like, that, that is just incredible. That means that we're now enabling an entire generation of people to be more creative, more free thinking, more open-minded um, and giving them the freedom to do that uh, kind of on their own terms, which is really cool. Yeah, and this really does seem to be the trend. Um, and people have been talking about this, the metaverse for a long time. Um, and now it's actually, you know, kind of hit the mainstream insofar as Facebook just recently changed their flipping name to Meta. And so, Al, as a guy who's been working in the metaverse and thinking about this stuff for six years, right? Like you said, what what was kind of your take on, on all this? Uh, that's, <laughs> man, if Facebook tries to become the metaverse, it's a very scary world to live in. Um, I saw a pretty Describe good post. Describe that. that like, uh, well, so the, the post that I saw on Twitter the other day was uh, Mark Zuckerberg standing next to one of the pods from the Matrix unveiling his new product. Um, and I think that's kind of like, that's the reality of a centralized metaverse is like, we will be living in a matrix, like a matrix style thing where everything has rules and everything is controlled by one organization that makes all the decisions. Um, and if we don't want that world and you know, the internet already basically is that to some extent, it's not a 3d world that we live in yet, but it's very quickly becoming this thing that's dominated by a few centralized parties. Um, and that's actually, that might even be more scary than this misinformation problem. Because if we have a couple of people, you know, uh, you can have a benevolent dictator and maybe Mark Zuckerberg is that guy. Maybe he's the guy that should make all these decisions and he's the most qualified and we should all trust him. He actually seems like a pretty good guy for what it's worth. I think he gets a lot of flack, but I don't trust that his successor or his successor's successor or his successor's successor's successor who will govern the internet is going to make good decisions for my great grandchildren. You know, that just scares me. Then who's who going to hire trust? Rob Zombie? Or, or is it is it this idea of this decentralized uh, governance vehicle that you would trust? I think it's so it's two things. It's the decentralized governance and it's the transparency to be able to see how it works underneath the surface. Mm. Um, you need to be able to see how the sausage is made in these cases. Otherwise, what what do we know from a governance standpoint then? You know, even if one person's making all the decisions, we at least need to be able to check their answer which is currently and, impossible. You don't get to see how Google chooses what shows up in the search results. You don't get to see how Facebook chooses what goes in your newsfeed. But these things make a big difference, right? Um, if people are deciding which candidate to vote for in an election and that candidate shows up at the top of their newsfeed on Facebook, that's a lot of exposure. That makes a huge difference, right? Open source the algorithms. Yes, not just open source them, but like make them community managed, make them open wow. to having contributions from other people so that people can actually add to them. You know, that's the power of the blockchain, in my opinion. What yeah. other projects are out there or teams that are doing uh, this sort of stuff that, that you're really excited about, that are executing on it really well? Who, who do you think has the best governance uh, process right now? Uh, so, so on two sides, I guess. The governance thing is really tricky. Um, I think, you know, the classic example there is obviously Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, they were basically created on GitHub repos. So everything was open source from day one and every contribution goes through a process of getting approved into the GitHub repo. Um, and everybody can see every single change that's being made. That's what you hear about when you hear about these like EIPs or ERC. Um, in Ethereum, something has to be an EIP first, which is an implementation uh, proposal. And then once it goes through that process, then it gets to become an ERP 
or an ERC rather, uh, and then that eventually gets a budget sometimes from consensus and then they build it. Um, and so that process of kind of like openly discussing these things in a public space is really, really important. Um, on the other side of it though, I think the people that are really doing the hard work right now are on the, uh, the tech side. So with Koi, we call Koi a layer N protocol. Um, and basically what that means is that we make it possible for people to use these other blockchains in a more efficient fashion. Uh, we, we basically coordinate resources across all these different networks. Um, and that depends on having people who have figured out how to do decentralized storage and govern decentralized storage. Uh, so Arweave is doing that really, really, really well right now. Uh, they have a permanent storage mechanism, so you can store like large files onto the blockchain really inexpensively. Um, but they have a governance framework within that model as well. So if somebody uploads something to their network that is uh, like, you know, potentially not great content, you know, like somebody maybe uploads uh, like pornography or something potentially uh, malicious, or maybe it's like actually misinformation like we were talking about. When that happens, the Arweave nodes have a way of actually dismissing that content. Um, and so the nodes collectively can blacklist it. And just basically what that means is that some nodes will stop replicating it and they'll refuse to, uh, to mine blocks that include that content, for example. How, how, does that, how does that actually happen? You know, I don't know if, how technical you want to get, but I think some listeners, and when I'm listening, I'm like, oh, well, that just sounds like censorship, right? So there's an arbitrary mm -hmm. censorship function that's called, uh, but it's probably not as, as reductionist as well, that. So I think censorship implies that there's a censor, like a specific body that decides what stuff gets censored. Um, so in this case with Arweave, it's actually up to the node operators to choose which sensor they subscribe to. And so if the sensor that they're subscribing to has content on the sensor list that they don't want to delete, they can keep it. Hmm. Interesting. And how does something get made onto the sensor list? Uh, I believe at the moment it's mostly coordinated by the Arweave core team, um, but I think they're working on open sourcing that so that it'll be a, basically a community-led movement. Fascinating. Yeah, I know using Arweave, there's a big warning saying that if you're running a node, your chain may contain like secret government files and things. <laughs> so they're saying, if you don't want to host this, you know, you need to opt out of it. So I thought that was, that's cute. Uh, yeah. yeah Are we was a great thing? It, it really is. Um, and it's, it's any of these decentralized technologies are going to be like that a little bit. You don't really know exactly what you're getting into. It's all very experimental still. Um, but I think the key thing is people are thinking about this stuff and they are trying to make plans for how it's going to work in the future. Um, and we, so we do this on the Koi website as well. Uh, if you go to Koi.rocks, that's our NFT portal, which has our attention leaderboard. Um, and that's where you can see all the content that's getting the most attention on our network. So that uh, leaderboard has a flagging feature, essentially. So anybody who has a, a wallet connected can flag a piece of content and that'll add it to the content review process. Um, and our goal is to make that open source so that essentially anybody who wants to add reviews can go and moderate the content. It'll all show up in a single registry on a transparent place on a blockchain and a smart contract. Um, and then people will be able to read from that sensor list and see who is doing it. So if one user goes through and they downvote all of my content because they want me to not be able to speak, it'll be very clear that that user was the one that did that and that it's not a large group of people. It's in fact, just one guy spamming the system. Um, so like another thing that we're working on right now is DIDs uh, to in, in order to be able to track the reputation of these different users. Um, and so with uh, decentralized identity, you essentially have the ability to say, this guy did this on this date and feels this way about things. And so we should treat his opinion as a biased opinion from this perspective. Um, and if you can weight the opinions well enough like that, then you can create a really dynamic system where all the transparent information is available to everybody who's working on it. And anybody can write their own moderation algorithm that goes through all that transparent information and decides what to show on the site. Um, and so we really want to make that something where every portal decides what they want to show and it all just lives on the blockchain.
Now, does Koi Network have its own uh, cryptocurrency? Yeah, so that's the Koi token, uh, K-O-I-I. So currently we're on testnet at the moment, uh, and the testnet token is uh, currently being issued every day. So every single day, based on attention, we issue the tokens to the users in the network. Um, and so if you publish content that gets attention, every day you have an opportunity to mine new Koi tokens. Wow. And so if I'm like an artist, or if I'm a game developer, I could kind of put it on the Koi network and earn tokens for that attention that it generates. Is, is that kind of the right way to think about it? Yeah, exactly. Um, everything has to get registered to Koi and it all has to be on a decentralized network. Uh, so currently we support Arweave and Ethereum. Um, and on the, uh, the content side of it, basically what you do is you use our Finny wallet to upload any content that you want. Uh, you create it as an NFT essentially, and then you can host that NFT on Arweave. So you can even like, like one thing that somebody did is they literally took all the assets on their website all like every single asset on the website, all the images, they uploaded them all to Arweave, tokenized all of them. And now every time that somebody goes to their site, they're getting a bunch of attention rewards. And so they're actually mining attention by having all these assets tokenized on Arweave. Um, but that provides our system with valuable information. So it's totally worth it. What's the, uh, what's the wallet called? You call it a Finny wallet? Finny, yeah. F-I-N-N-I-E, uh, like infinite. Interesting. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. I'm gonna have to look that up. Is it a, uh, it's just a plugin? Yeah, it's a Chrome extension that works just like MetaMask, except it also has an NFT gallery built into it. Wow. Um, and we also support Arweave natively. So we're working on actually adding as many networks as we can to this, uh, kind of in support of our layer end mission. Uh, so Koi nodes have been designed to be cross-chain and so has the wallet. Um, and the goal here is that as a developer, you can build an entire uh, decentralized app that uses multiple different networks and your users can use the Finny wallet to interact with them. And the Coin node supports all the interactions that you need to do on the back end to deploy the thing. Um, so you get like a full system uh, that's completely cross-chain out of the box. Many of you have probably heard uh, about how the market for collectibles, including NFTs, has gone totally crazy over the last year. And the problem, though, is that even if you wanted to invest in some of these assets, the price tags are simply out of reach for most investors. But there's actually solutions to this problem. And I wanted to tell you about one of those right now. So this podcast is sponsored by Otis. Otis is an investment platform that makes it possible for almost anyone to invest in shares of cultural assets. So here's how it works. You download their app and you sign up for free. They have over 100 items available for you to invest in, from rare collectibles like sports cards, comics and video games, to NFTs, contemporary art, and even rare sneakers. Shares usually start around 10 bucks, plus they add new assets every week. Then you can earn a potential return if Otis sells the underlying assets for more than the price the item was dropped at, or by selling your shares to other Otis members on Otis's real-time trading platform. So some of the drops from Otis are amazing. These uh, things are like sports cards and memorabilia, uh, like a ticket to the Kobe Bryant's final NBA game or a bunch of boxed, never open vintage video games like the original Game Boy Pokemon games. And as a music lover, to be honest, I was excited to see uh, an actual first generation, brand new first generation iPod. So if products like this sound up your alley, well, right now, Otis is offering listeners of this show a free share when they fund their account. And all you have to do is go to with otis.com slash crypto 101 and sign up to get your first share for free that is with otis w-i-t-h-o-t-i-s 
dot com slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-1-0-1. For more risks and disclaimers, go to withotis.com slash legal slash disclaimer. And please check out the show notes uh, for those as well. These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. In fact, here at Crypto 101, we use LinkedIn to search for new employees, including our Crypto 101 podcast manager, Ryan, who then, in turn, worked with the folks at LinkedIn to partner with us as a sponsor. Crazy how that stuff works out, but here we are. And Basically, here's how it works. You create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over, yeah, 770 million people. Then you could focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified candidates. And then you can use some simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire. Uh, it's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. And did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers are visiting? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Visiting LinkedIn. So you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. Okay, that's linkedin.com slash crypto to post your job for free. Okay, terms and conditions do apply. So the cost of living is rising, right? That's pretty much apparent. I mean, what else is new? Buying a home, renting an apartment, your gas, your groceries, and basically most, if not all of you know, life's necessities, they get more and more expensive over time. And all of this comes while not wanting to leave loved ones with huge financial burdens as well. And on that note, it actually makes sense why people do get life insurance, especially 
uh, term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. So, so why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, you got to choose ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, okay? You need just a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time. So you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And if you do prefer to talk to a person, their team of licensed agents doesn't work on commission. So they'll help you uh, and not upsell you. And there's also no hidden fees. You could cancel at any time. And you could also get a full refund if you change your mind within that first 30 days. And ladder policies are issued by insurers uh, with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best. Okay, finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, I mean, really, if you think about it, now's the time to cross that off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash crypto 101 today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash crypto 101 ladderlife.com slash crypto 101. I'm just kind of curious, are you yourself an artist? Um, how, you know, or are you just a technologist? Uh, I definitely am a little bit more tech heavy. Uh, I do a little bit of oil painting here and there. Uh, I used to draw a lot when I was younger, but I don't have as much time for that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I do, uh, I sometimes write songs on the piano. So I guess a little bit of that. Nice. That's really cool, man. So how big is this space actually growing aside from just Koi? You mentioned that you are in New York right now for, I guess, the biggest NFT conference of all time. It give us, is, yeah. give, give um, us uh, the lowdown of what's going on over there. What's it look like? It is insane, man. There are people walking around New York with these badges on, and there are so many of them on the streets right now around Times Square that you could practically just say the word NFT and a bunch of people will look at you. And this is very strange for me because like uh, earlier we were getting in the elevator and I said something about the Board Ape Yacht Club uh, event that they're throwing tomorrow night. And like three people turned around and started asking questions about it, which is like insane for me because where I live in Canada, most of the time, if I say NFT, people look at me really funny and they don't know what I'm talking about. Whereas if I say NFT here, everybody turns around and says, oh, what's that? What are you talking about? And they want to jump in and have a conversation. And this is compared to like talking to people about Bitcoin a couple of years ago. And they're saying, wait, what's this thing? Uh, I think I heard of that. Well, you were saying that this conference has taken up like three buildings around Times Square. They've literally booked the whole midtown Manhattan basically for this conference. It's insane. That's absolutely insane. So this is even what you're telling me is NFTs have become bigger than Bitcoin, essentially. NFTs are already bigger than Bitcoin for sure. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about like some of the, the key metrics for growth with the NFTs. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people don't really even understand why they've uh, gained such a, such a huge swell of adoption. Well, so I think it all comes down to the economics of scarcity um, and the, the emotional drive that comes along with that. And so with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is very valuable because it has such scarcity. Everybody calls it digital gold, things like that. Um, the thing with, with these NFTs that's fascinating is that they are more unique than Bitcoin. They are more rare than Bitcoin because there's, in fact, only one of each of them. Wow. 
Interesting. And that's, that is really like psychologically, that's very powerful, right? Because it means that if I'm a crypto zillionaire and I know a few of these guys that have made a lot of money in crypto, they're trading NFTs. And so like when, as, when a billionaire wants to get that Board Ape Yacht Club photo for his profile picture on Twitter, he will spend millions of dollars for that thing because he wants it, right? He wants and he wants to be in, included in something. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so there's a lot of these, uh, I think there's a lot of these psychological things that we're starting to notice about this concept of decentralization that are very, very powerful. Um, the thing that excites me about this, and the reason I say it's bigger than Bitcoin, is that in the, in the minds of a user who is interacting with the internet, uh, taking all of their money that's in their bank account and converting it into something like Bitcoin, that's a difficult ask, right? But if I tell you that I can pay you for using the internet and you're gonna have more rights than you used to and you're not gonna be able to be censored and you're gonna have transparency about who's looking at your content, you're gonna ensure that your voice is heard. And I, again, I'm going to pay you to do this and you're gonna to get to own all of your own content. That's really powerful, right? Uh, and so for, for an Instagram influencer or for somebody that's on Twitter, being able to actually own their voice is incredibly powerful. Um, and I think that that psychological shift as it starts to happen is going to be something where we will see the role models do it first and they're already doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got Snoop Dogg, we've got Gary Vee, practically everybody who does marketing is now in NFTs. And so they're going to, they're going to continue talking about this. They're going to continue investing in it for the next 10 years. And they're going to brainwash the entire population of the world to never again allow their content to be owned by other people on the internet. Wow. And, and not really, brainwashing I guess... It's just yeah, be a, a revenue revolution. revolution as well and a royalty revolution because people will be able to get, you know, paid, you know, per click, basically directly to their Ethereum wallet or per view. Is that is that right? That's that's exactly how it works. Yeah. Uh, so as an example of this, we have a company in Montreal right now that we're working with who is using the coin network to build a music streaming platform that will work like Spotify, except that anybody can self-publish onto this network and they can do it for like $15. So you can publish your entire album onto this network and start mining tokens and they will pay you to do this. And at what so point do those subsidies kind of run out? Because I, I kind of think about like liquidity mining or, or, you know, yield farming with, you know, subsidizedly high APYs, if subsidizedly is even a word. Um, but like, at what point does that kind of um, taper off? I think it's about network effects. So if you look at uh, TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or any of these companies, right? They all have the same business model, which is you raise a bunch of money and you spend it on marketing. That's the whole business model. That's why when you look at their stocks, their stocks are priced based on the users, right? It's all based on how many users they have coming back every day because that's the power of the platform. Um, and so with most of these crypto networks, what we're kind of seeing is it's like a new version of that where you, instead of raising money to go and get people to use your thing, you just give them a piece of your thing. You say, hey, let's build a community. I want to include you. If you get here first, I'm going to give you a bigger split. Um, so we're doing this with Koi right now, right? So like a lot of the people that are earning Koi tokens right now, uh, you know, this month we had a million views. Last month, I think we had 500,000. The month before that, we had 100,000. Um, and so that period where there's very small amounts of traffic means that there's a big opportunity for some of these people to come in and make some money. Um, and the earlier they get in, the better it is. And so this is kind of a similar process to what's happening with Bitcoin, where the early adopters are now the biggest evangelists. Um, and I think it's going to happen at an exponentially increasing pace over the next 10 years. Wow, that's phenomenal. So if someone listening right now is, they want to get in the NFT space, they want to jump in head first, where do they start? Well, obviously they start a coin network, but what are some things they should avoid 
falling victim to because in the NFT space, there's going to be shit coins just like there is in the altcoin world. What are some things that you walk across and you're like, oh man, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. So I think the thing that should be uh, always on people's minds is this like, if someone is promising you that something's going to go up a lot in value, that's probably not why you should be in it. Um, it's just, you know, it sometimes isn't the best way to do investments, right? Uh, so it's all value-based, I think. If we focus on things that actually have long-term value, like gaming ecosystems, uh, those have incredible promise. So things like Axie Infinity, where, uh, you know, they started out as almost collectibles, and then they added gaming components, and now they've added a lot of other stuff into the system. Um, and that's kind of, I think, how a lot of these products grow, is that they have a really strong community, they have a really strong technical base with one small product, and then they kind of grow around that. Um, and if you're not seeing that kind of growth, if you're not seeing that reinvestment of capital and that like kind of continuous growth process where people are trying to think bigger and kind of keep thinking about new ways to expand what they're doing, then that's a big red flag. Because um, there's a lot of people in here right now that are just profiteering. You know, uh, I think uh, DeviantArt had 14,000 people that plagiarized content off their website and sold it as NFTs. Um, and so this is all over the place, you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think the place to start though is always like. You know, go on OpenSea, just look around at what people are doing, try it out, uh, take a look at what's there, take a look at Koi. Uh, you can use the Finny Wallet too to store all your keys, which will make it a lot easier. Uh, a lot of the things that people run into is they lose their keys early on and then they can't access any of their stuff, which is very tricky. So a lot of those things. How, how do we check and see if an NFT is actually unique and hasn't also just been minted on another chain? So that's a really interesting thing. Um, we're currently tackling this with Arweave, where uh, when we store the media files onto Arweave, our smart contracts are embedded into the media file as a single payload. Uh, that's what we call an atomic NFT. And it ensures that you can't duplicate the content then, because if you try to take that Arweave asset and register it as an NFT somewhere else, the thing originally has the ownership imbued into it. So it, the uniqueness is kind of preserved that way. Um, the other side of it though, too, is you can use hashes. So you can use a hash of the image. People are working on kind of spam prevention systems for that. Uh, so that you could basically compare all of these different images and be able to tell which ones are unique. Um, but it's a hard nut, it's a hard nut to crack. Uh, most of the time it comes down to provenance, I guess. So you would track the artist and the person who has owned it um, and kind of ensure that the, the artwork is in fact unique and that it did come from the artist and not from some other person. Um, this is actually how they do it in the traditional art world too. Uh, so it's really hard to tell uh, like an art fake a lot of the time because there's very, very good art forgers out there. Um, and so instead, what they do often is that they'll, you know, kind of rely on knowing that it was purchased from a certain person on a certain date and that it went through like, you know, an auction house like Sotheby's, that kind of thing. Um, with blockchain, that's actually a lot easier. So it's a big advantage of the system. We, we now can do everything that Sotheby's and all these other auction houses do, except we can do it, uh, you know, for a fraction of the cost using digital technology without even having an office. Very cool. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, I want to go back to um, kind of the culture around NFTs because I think it's fascinating. And if you kind of think about like a typical Bitcoiner or whatever, even in the early days, right, you know, libertarian, um, you know, basically that that sort of mindset, um, anti-Fed or whatever, how would you kind of describe a typical NFT or is there like a through line uh, that you've noticed? I think it all comes back to this concept of ownership. Um, and so people who really appreciate the idea of being able to own this content, I think that's the, the psychological shift for people. Um, the neat thing about it though, like you said, is there's a lot of different people who have that psychological shift and they're all using it. They're using this new tech and the new kind of perspective to do really, really different things. So you've got people that are doing it for their art. Uh, you've got people that are trying to tokenize their house. Uh, 
There's a lot of people I know that are doing uh, video game design and things like that as well. So you get a lot of these like metaverse worlds. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with any of the, uh, like you can go into uh, crypto voxels, for example, and crypto voxels is literally a 3D world that you can live inside of and you can buy property and you can buy a house and you can build your house and you can hire somebody to come and do renovations on your house. Uh, we have a partner that has an art gallery in there. So we sometimes do art exhibits where we launch the art exhibit in a decentralized gallery inside of a 3D world where people can go and walk around inside the gallery and look at the different pieces. Um, so there's a lot of these really neat things like that out there. How do we know what virtual worlds are worth investing in and aren't just going to disappear like the mark spaces of the past that were maybe just a little bit too early to the game? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be a few uh, Netscapes here, right? Um, it, it could definitely go the way where we have kind of a dot-com style bubble and there's a lot of companies that are trying to invest and only a couple of them succeed. Um, I think though that what will happen is for the ones that have a large enough community, uh, because they're decentralized, it's very different from like a Netscape, right? Uh, so like somebody, somebody like Netscape or like a centralized company like that would have a really hard time adapting uh, and keeping their community if they don't invest in the right technologies over time. Whereas a crypto community, if it's a really strong community, will continue to reinvest on their own, even if the, uh, the core constituents of the network might actually you know, fall off and choose to not maintain. Do you kind of view um, a, a world where people are going to be porting their current social media and their current, you know, artistic platforms over to a decentralized network? Or is it going to be that they have to rebuild everything on, on, a, on a fresh network? I think it's, uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a mixed bag there. Um, the, the first thing I would say is we are working on trying to connect your existing social media to your Koi DID. Uh, so to be able to connect your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter profile and all the other kind of like pages that you have. Um, and we're working on making it possible to track attention on those platforms as well. So if you have our browser extension installed, you can still credit the artist, even if you're looking at their content on Instagram. Um, so that kind of stuff is that I think that's going to be the way that we allow this to kind of like grow in parallel. Um, I think within a couple of years, though, a large constituent, a large uh, group of the constituents that are involved in this stuff are going to start opting out of those traditional platforms anyways, just because they're not going to provide the value that they want. Right. Um, so if I have Twitter, which pays me to use it where I own my own content and it's you know transferable and I can't be censored um, and I start using that actively. It's very unlikely that I'm going to go back to traditional Twitter and try to go and impress that ecosystem if I've chosen to switch. Yeah, interesting. Um, one of the other things I wanted to, to make viewers aware of um, is something that I've been learning again as I'm dipping my toes into the NFT world is that whenever you you go to mint NFTs, you should always use a burner wallet. Is that right? And could you kind of talk about some of the risks associated with you know partaking in the NFT ecosystem? Uh, I think that advice would probably be coming from uh, taxation side of the expertise. No, um, I think it's because uh, if you mint something, then it, and it, you mint something malicious, it can steal your coins. Oh, uh, Pete's, have I you mean, heard of this? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So if you, well, uh, what it is, is a smart contract and you don't know yeah. what's in it, that can be yeah, exactly. I mean, no one's going to actually read a smart contract before accessing it. So yeah, anytime you're using a, a new platform for anything, lending, minting, uh, trying to redeem a token that got airdropped to you. If you're not familiar with this platform, uh, you probably shouldn't be using the same wallet and keys that has all your Ethereum and Chainlink and you know, funds you're actually really holding on to. 
separating things into many wallets is definitely security best practices and definitely uh, using hardware wallets when possible. Mm. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely agree there. Um, on the on the side of like uh, best practices for minting though too, I think currently there are a few pretty trusted places you can go. So if you aren't comfortable like uploading your own smart contracts, um, OpenSea is obviously kind of the gold standard. There's known origin as well, which is very sophisticated. Um, and then at, at Koi as well, you can use the Finny wallet to click and drag something onto the Finny wallet and it'll turn it into an NFT in like under three seconds. Um, and so there's a few pretty trustworthy ways to do it. And then those are cross compatible. So you can move them over to OpenSea and install them afterwards. Awesome. So, so Al, um, before we let you go, a few more questions. Um, outside of anything that Koi Network is uh, directly affiliated with, what's like your favorite NFT project? What's really cool out there that you think viewers should look into? You could name drop a, a couple really cool, whether it's a company, a project, a community, anything that you find uh, really compelling. Mm, not related to Koi, hey? Um, yeah, not related to Koi. <laughs> heads down on Koi lately. Um, we've done a lot of these like 10K uh, type generative art projects lately, and we've been very involved in that. So I'm starting to appreciate a lot of the people that are doing this like uh, NFTs that grow over time or NFTs that evolve. Uh, so I really like a lot of the gaming applications. So like things like crypto voxels are really interesting to me. Um, there's also some really cool stuff like OnCyber will let you create your own custom art gallery. Um, that's on, OnCyber.io. Uh, and you can literally just click and drag like any of your files into there or NFTs and you can display them in this virtual gallery. Um, and these kind of immersive experiences like that are really cool because they truly do feel like you're in a different world. Um, if you have a VR headset on, it actually is like you're in an art gallery walking around. Um, there's one that, uh, as an example, if you get close to the images, they start playing music. And okay. so you've got like, uh, I think this is one of our investors actually uh, has this thing he calls the Shanghai nightclub. And it's basically a bunch of his art in one of these decentralized galleries. Um, and it literally feels like you are walking through a, a nightclub where there's like all kinds of different rooms with different music and different vibes. It's like, it's a completely different way of using the internet, I think. Wow, I, that's like the future of homepages, really. Yeah, the death of the web page. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind of funny too, seeing like Mark Zuckerberg's big demo for this meta thing was like, hey, you're gonna be able to have your home room. It's like, we have that and it's decentralized already. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I think that really, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, I, I'm curious, man, like uh, for, for, for anybody who is listening to the podcast, uh, that, that, that maybe it's their first time listening to a crypto podcast or, you know, an NFT podcast, right? Um, what is, what's one word of wisdom that you would have? Not your keys, them? not your crypto, not your keys, not your crypto. Not your keys, not your crypto. <laughs> if you lose your keys, it's not your crypto anymore. And that also applies to NFTs. Um, I think that's the worst thing about this sector is that it's really hard to have like a forgot my password functionality. Mm. Um, we are working on something like that with our DIDs now so that you can swap out your keys or so you can have a recovery process. Um, but it is, it's very, very difficult to do in a consistent fashion. And it does create a lot of problems for people if they don't back them up. So the best thing that you can do is when you create a new wallet, always back it up on paper, put that little piece of paper with a seed phrase somewhere safe, and don't look at it and <laughs> don't tell anybody where it is. <laughs> awesome. No, I love it. Uh, all right. Well, well, Al, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you, you sharing all sorts of insights about NFTs in the coin, the coin network. Um, if we want to find out more, uh, are you big on Twitter or are you mostly posted on medium? Where's the best place to follow everything going on with you guys? Uh, Twitter is probably the most active. So we, I'm Al underscore Koi with two eyes. 
That's A-L underscore K-O-I-I. Um, and there's also uh, the Koi blog is pretty good. We put out content on there probably once a week, uh, once every, probably maybe twice a week, actually, with guides and things like that, kind of show people how they can make some money and make NFTs. Uh, so there's lots of options there. Love it. All right. Well, everybody at home listening, all you good, wonderful citizens of Crus- uh, and citizens and crusaders of Crip Nation, we will talk to you guys soon. Uh, and Al, uh, we'll bring you back on when there's some more updates to, uh, to be said. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for showing more people this amazing space that we're building. Yeah, our pleasure. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.